Our show sponsors and your donations make Adventure Rider Radio possible. And without the sponsors, we just couldn't do it. So if you're looking for something for your bike, consider shopping the companies that help bring Adventure Rider Radio to you every week for free. Thanks. Shall we begin? Shall we begin? Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system and of course green chili adventure gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding and that has gained them a top reputation for tough reliable gear and that's www.greenchiliadv.com Most couples spend a good portion of their time apart. And when that long anticipated motorcycle adventure becomes a reality, so does suddenly spending 24 hours a day together, seven days a week, often on the same bike and usually in the same tent or hotel room each night. Add all the regular stresses of road travel like breakdowns, running out of fuel or getting lost, and then compound that with border crossings and language barriers, and you could have the perfect storm for a relationship between lovers or traveling companions. That is, unless you have some good tips from those that have been down that road and managed to survive. I'm Jim Martin, this is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us, we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Nick Sanders, Terry Borden, Sandy Borden, Jack Borden, Graham Field, Austin Vince, Jason Spafford, Lisa Murray, David Peterson, Rachel, Ed March, Glenn Hickstead, Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, Barr, Michelle Lanfield, Tiffany Coates, Herbert Schmutz, Brett Tatt, Zoe Cano, Nathan Millward, Graham Hoskins, Joe Rowe, Jeremy Craker, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Simon Pavey, Grant Johnson, Robert Wick, Seth Simon, Elizabeth Martin, I'm Carol DeVell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Mike and Alana Clear are from the UK. 
And when they got married, they decided that their honeymoon was going to be something truly special. So they planned to ride together in a Ural sidecar motorcycle from Alaska to Ushuaia. It'd be the ultimate test of compatibility to join together on the adventure of a lifetime. But after being told that, according to statistics, their marriage had only a 50-50 chance of survival, they decided to make the adventure about trying to discover the secrets to a successful marriage. Along the way, they would find couples that have been together for many years and ask them what their secrets are to a life of happiness with their significant other. Interviewing everyone from Mormons to porn stars, they made their way south, all the while dealing with the difficulties of travel itself by motorcycle. Oh, and as an added bonus, or frustration, they filmed the entire trip to be made into a movie. And as you might imagine, things didn't go exactly according to plan. Okay, so uh, my name is Mike Clear, and I'm uh, from London, and I work in advertising. I'm Alana Clear, and I'm also from London, and I work in branding. Mike, Alana, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks very much, Jim. Great to be here. Great to have you both on. Now, I'm, I'm sort of curious about you said advertising, and then you said branding. Isn't that the same thing? Pretty much, broadly. When As soon as you're within the field, you know that they're different. But when you are outside the field, it's all just communications of whatever sort or another. Well, of course, we're not talking today about advertising. We're talking about a movie you guys did called Going the Distance. When did you do this movie? We started our trip in 2009. Uh, and we finished the trip in 2010. So it was kind of eight months on the road. And then making the film, anyone out there who has tried to make a video or film their trip will know that actually the trip is easy in comparison to the act of making the film or the movie around it. Uh, And the film, well, it was Mike's labor of love and it probably took about five years to make. The lift pitch uh, is that it's... um it's uh, a search for the secret of lasting love. So the two of us got married in uh, 2008 uh, and we heard that 50% of all marriages end in divorce and we wanted to know which half of marriages we fell in. So we decided to test our relationship both uh, in in the laboratory and also on the road. Uh, and we drove uh, 35,000 miles from Alaska to Argentina uh, in a motorbike and sidecar. And all the while we were interviewing a load of couples from um, Eskimos in Alaska to polygamists in uh, Salt Lake City, uh, down to um, the gauchos of Argentina, finding out what made them uh, stay together for life and what we could learn from them. And then the laboratory side of things, we basically had a series of tests with the world's greatest relationship scientists who essentially, uh, before we left, wanted to see whether or not we were in love. And when we got to the end of the road, we opened an envelope uh, and inside the envelope were the results of their findings and whether or not we should be together for life or not. Okay, so when, you, when you're getting married and you're talking about this concept, or was it just after you got married, you're talking about this concept, how do you come up with a motorcycle? Where does a motorcycle come into this? I'm afraid that's my fault. Yeah, I'm afraid it is too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just, um, I'd done a, couple, a trip a couple of years ago or a couple of years prior uh, from New York to San Francisco uh, on a Ural motorbike and sidecar. Um, and we were talking about kind of how we would do uh, a big journey together. 
And it really felt like the right kind of vehicle to do it on again, um, particularly as a sort of symbol of of marriage. Um, we kind of always joke about the idea of, of you know, uh, the man being a lone wolf on a on a single two wheeled vehicle, and then you kind of get this thing that you you strap onto the side for the rest of your life as a third wheel, uh, and you try and survive. <laughs> It's a fairly loathsome <laughs> analogy. But you know what? The, the, the original intention was for both of us to drive it equally. And we were totally intent on taking it in turns to to drive. And then unfortunately, Alana failed her bike test for the second time just before we flew out uh, to New York. So um, she failed, which meant that I drove the whole journey on my own, which wasn't the intention. So you failed twice, Alana. What was the problem? Don't rub it in, Jim. <laughs> well, you said twice. <laughs> well, I keep thinking about your listeners and actually the number of people who, whether or not they're armchair adventurers or who have actually done trips, uh, most of them, I assume, have got a love of bikes. And I feel like, well, I did the trips, I did my two tests really close together. And the first one, I went too slowly through the speed trap. And the second one, I put my foot down when mm. I was doing the maneuvers. So it's the kind of thing where I, I feel like everybody who has a bike will at some point have been like, oh, yeah, that would be that's really easy to do. How annoying. You were too safe. That's the thing. I was just a bit too safe. Um, <laughs> and so I failed. Uh, but actually, to be honest, I'm, I'm the family car driver. So four wheels good. And in our case, Mike deals with the two wheels and the three wheels. And a unicycle, actually. So I can do one, two and three just for the record. Oh, but he's rubbish. I, and I noticed you juggled as well. So I guess that goes with the unicycle. <laughs> That's that's right. He is the family clan. There is. <laughs> Why not just go back and, and do the test again? Um, well, so at the time, I failed the test the day before we left oh, for this this eight month trip, and by the time we got back, I kind of I didn't think that I needed ever to be on a bike again. <laughs> by the time we got to Argentina, I was definitely I was through with living out of a bag, or actually, as it happened, a pannier. Um, yeah, I had all my stuff for eight months in a pannier and I definitely wanted a little bit more room and, and I was quite happy to be back in a car. Do you guys have a bike now? We have, we actually do have a motorbike and sidecar. We have a Ural. Um, but because we now have two small people, we've lent it to another Ural adoring friend, uh, on a long-term let. I think you've had him on the show actually, Austin and his wife Lois are mm -hmm. looking after the Ural, uh, in, in the, uh, the, the yard of their, um, of, of their, their, uh, canal, canal boat. boat. Yeah. Um, so temporarily we are without our three wheels, but they'll be back. I know that they will be back. I absolutely love the Ural and, um, I think one of the things that was really wonderful throughout our trip was the fact that the Ural was the third person on the journey, well, the third being entity on the journey in that, uh, you know, Ural itself, they talk about the Ural effect and how you park a Ural on a street and people will just come and start talking to you. And because the nature of our trip, we decided that we wanted to do a trip. And we wanted it to have some kind of purpose. And actually, if you've seen the film, you'll understand that that fits very much with Mike's um, MO for life. And the Ural was a great way of starting conversations. You know, specifically with this trip, we always wanted to meet as many people as we could and understand what love and relationships meant in whatever town or country we were passing through. And the Ural was a great way of doing it because it's just such a great conversation starter. And it's a really it's a joyful thing to drive. And we bought a third helmet 
And we, you know, it was an open face helmet and we just asked everybody who sat in our sidecar and, you know, children loved it. We ended up giving lifts to hundreds of people and everybody had to sign the helmet afterwards. And we still have this wonderful helmet covered with names and places of everywhere that we'd pick people up. And the Ural stands out, right? It's a, it is a conversation starter because it stands out. It's different, much like the coveralls that you guys wore, which sort of scream Austin Vince to me. <laughs> well, yeah, Austin definitely had a hand in them. And he had said, you know, I mean, obviously regular listeners to your show will know Austin because he is the ultimate uh, adventure motorcycle traveler. And he had said to us beforehand, if you wear these overalls, people are just irresistibly drawn to you. And actually with filming, he also had said, you know, edit wise, it's very useful. So. Yeah, continuity wise, you just end up wearing the same thing all the time. And actually from a, from a practical point of view, they are, and again, just uh, plugging Austin's overalls as a, as, as a method of, uh, of, of, of clothing. Uh, they're so good in, in, in the really hot weather because you can basically get away with nothing but the overalls without going into too much detail. Um, but then in really cold weather, you can essentially stuff newspaper down the front of it and wear additional trousers underneath and, and, and generally stay warm. And it's just, uh, they just kind of do everything and, uh, and they look great. That's the main thing. Well, they look quite good. I'm not sure that they're necessarily the most beguiling of outfits they- i think i think they look unthreatening that's, that's the point <laughs> they definitely look well, unthreatening think- and, and you said plugged but that's because you can actually order these these coveralls from austin vince can't you yeah, that's right. I think it does a kind of a bespoke, uh, you know, tailor-made version with with whatever color stripes you like. And and this is the thing that I'm not sure even. I think if I think he gave them to us as a gift. It was the greatest the greatest thing. He sort of came around to our flat and we were talking about the uh, the plan for the adventure, and he kind of kind of brought them out for us. And it was like, well, okay, uh, th- those things. And it's like, yeah, man, wear these. That'd be amazing. And we sort of, <laughs> I think, a little bit hesitant, being like, yeah, but we're English and we're embarrassed quite easily. Um, and then sure enough, you know, like. I think I think with that in mind, just getting out and you know wearing you know ridiculous overalls, getting into a motorbike and sidecar, pulling up in you know the most kind of threatening of environments like Compton in Los Angeles, and having people kind of coming over and having a nice chat, and and it's just the best way of getting people talking, and and I think that's the whole point of our journey in, in so many ways was to was to really uh, engage with local people and talk to them about their own relationships and understand not just how they got on with each other, but how um, how they were as people it's sort of a people adventure almost more than a place adventure we missed out on a whole load of classic landmarks and tourist attractions because we were just too busy talking to people and and you know having tea and 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 hanging out and getting drunk and, and being generally kind of you know really close with the people who lived in the towns we were driving through and that 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 for me was was one of the greatest things about that that kind of adventure travel well, I think actually, isn't that isn't that the have, comparing a road trip in a car to a road trip on a bike? The bike is just so, so much more immersive. You ha, you're not only are you feeling the wind in your hair throughout, but every time you stop, people start talking to you. It's a, just a much much more connected way of travelling, um, which for us made the trip completely memorable, unforgettable in a way that we could never have anticipated. So the whole trip is is about love. It's about testing your love, which I, I kind of find odd to begin with because it's a new love. Why do you want to test it when it's brand new? 
Well, again, that's a mic clear thing. <laughs> Test it till it breaks. Yeah, I mean, you know, without wanting to be too cynical, I think there's something to be said for really thinking hard about this sort of thing before you have kids. I think marriage is all very well. And as we know, you know, half of them break down and there are ways of, of essentially going separate ways. But the moment you bring a life, you know, a, 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 another life into this world, and you've been responsible for that decision to, you know, have have this this family. There's a responsibility to make it work, and I think it was less of a question around uh, for us kind of getting married and whether we'd stay married forever. It was more of us having made this leap to the altar and done the thing that everybody else does, which is like declare your love in front of a load of people. But then, kind of before we took the, the biggest leap of all, which in my mind is 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 having children, we decided to kind of like, well, I, I I thrust it upon my wife, so to speak, and actually say, listen, let's try and really think about, you know, whether or not we have the right kind of kind of temperament, the right character, the right way of being with each other uh, to make it work. And um, it it was it was a phenomenally useful thing. It's the kind of thing that you know has has come up a number of times in our own lives since then particularly with kids particularly under strain you know when we're really uh struggling to find the joy in the day um uh, or, or trying to trying to kind of uh you know make one's point heard or trying to get through an argument or you know uh, disagreement with the other half which happens uh happens happen you know happens happens to everyone and, and it's sort of having this sense of like um, working together on on something before as a as kind of a a, a dry run. I mean, admittedly, a sort of thirty five thousand mile dry run, but it was it was quite a good way of of uh, of figuring out you know whether we were any good at being together under pressure. Well, and actually, I think interestingly, what we learned along the way. So we ended up talking to tens of experts in relationships mostly down the west coast of the states, but there were experts, uh, women experts in Vancouver downwards. And one of the things, so various religions come at this in different ways, but the foundation for great relationships as decreed by the books is to interrogate objectively a relationship to the best of your ability whilst it's still young. So that, you know, one of the... The brain scan that we did in New York was all about dopamine. We're looking for chemicals in the brain. And dopamine, obviously, when you're in the first flush of your relationship, that's the lust chemical. And it's quite blinding and addictive. And actually, if you're able to strip out some of those feelings and look at yourselves objectively and understand whether or not there's a compatibility that's going to endure beyond the heady days of the limerence of of the dopamine, then actually you're building on something that is strong enough to sustain it. So, for example, we interviewed a um, Jehovah's Witness couple in Mexico. They were there on a mission. On a mission, exactly. When they, they, you know, they'd been dispatched for um, for a year to go out and spread the word. And they shared with us the Jehovah's Witness, the book of happy marriage or the, the, the happy family. And it basically had asked a lot of the questions of, you know, if, if one of your parents gets ill, what will you do? And it, all of the, they, it basically set up scenarios. It sets up for scenarios for young couples that they then think about the realities of marriage before they get into it. And, you know, similarly, the Catholic faith does that. You know, young couples are asked to come in and talk to their talk to their um, priests before they decide to get married and answer difficult questions. And so actually... There is a certain logic in Mike's uh, unique madness 
that actually if we can survive this in the early days of our marriage, then that stands us in very, very good stead for the later parts of our marriage. And we've had, we really have. So, you know, this was now seven years ago that we did this trip or six years ago that we did this trip. And subsequently we've had two children and, you know, along the way people had said to us, having children is harder than going on a motorbike trip. And we're like, yeah, maybe. And I can say now that having children is harder than going on a motorbike trip. Um, but we have the the questions that we were forced to ask ourselves about our relationship by both the experts and the situations that we found ourselves in on the road have stood us in immensely good stead for the later different but equally hard challenges that marriage has presented to us. You, you plan this out, obviously, you plan to film it, you plan stops to talk to people. The basic concept is, as you sort of said at the start here, was that you're going to ride the length of the Americas in your Ural. You're going to talk with people along the way, you're going to talk with experts along the way, um, look for secrets if there are some of um, a long relationship and how to make a marriage last and what other people have found. This has to take a long time to put together. Did you spend a year doing this, six months doing this, or what was it? Yeah, I mean, so that um, I mean, there was certainly a good six months before we left of of doing all the homework and really fleshing out the idea. Um, but then once we were on the road, um, we we had I think we calculated four days out of a total of about two hundred and eighty. Uh, four days were off the bike and off the the documentary. Four days where we sat on a beach or in a in a hotel or whatever. Um, four days of holiday. So, so there's there's actually a moment in the film where where Alana says something like, you know, oh, this is not my idea of a holiday, and then I snap back at her and say, this is not a holiday. <laughs> um, and 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 you know, I, I admit I kind of drove this situation to a kind of breaking point, and I think we definitely found a um, we found a a. a a, a kind of upper limit of what we were capable of doing. And, and and I pushed Alana, I think, further than she was willing to be pushed at the time. And I think as a result of it, we kind of ended up, you know, as you said earlier, you know, stronger for it. But then after this, you know, we came back to the UK uh, and uh, this sort of terrible thing as a producer, uh, where essentially I'm looking at the challenge of 200 hours of rushes um, and no money uh, <laughs> to be... <laughs> To, to to think through how I would how I would cut this and and I'm not I'm not an editor and and you know thankfully in my career I've met some incredible editors but again I didn't have the budget to make it work so basically um, through various uh, processes we managed to find a way to to make it make it work but it was about six years of of editing and and ups and downs along that road as well which is in itself quite an adventure and uh, in itself a a huge relief to kind of get to the end of that and to actually have that premiere in front of all of our friends and family and uh, you know show everybody what it was that we've been working on all this time why a Ural? Uh, because it's brilliant and and fun and and so inviting and so f funny frankly it's it's such an enjoyable way of of traveling you can't go too fast you can't um you can't really overtake cars and filter dangerously you just sort of have to behave like a slightly slow car um you know you you, you have this incredible uh, opportunity to see the world properly 
um, but without kind of putting yourself, it didn't feel like we were putting ourselves in, in too much danger. And um, I just loved it. I mean, it, it was it, particularly the, the, the thing I love most about the Ural, uh, just get, getting briefly geeky uh, on the bike itself, is is quite how simple it is. So it's this boxer twin engine that comes from the uh, the Second World War when the, uh, the, the Nazis uh, basically had created this incredible BMW R72, I'm going to say, um, which which was a result of, of some in, uh, amazing engineering over a couple of decades. And they, they came to uh, the, their first encounter with the Russians with a whole fleet of these amazing BMW bikes. And, and uh, Stalin at the time saw these bikes and they were like, right, we got to get ourselves some of these. And they stole uh, a couple of Swedish spies, stole some of these bikes, took them across the border into the Ural Mountains, where they copied every single piece of the vehicle uh, and kind of built uh, a replica of, of, the, of these amazing German BMW machines. And then, you know, they churned out a few a few thousand of them for the next battle because, of course, it's nimble. You can put a machine gun on the on the front of the sidecar um, and it's basically all the best bits of cavalry without any horses. Uh, and it, it ended up enduring as a as a as a sort of you know communist vehicle that everybody could use from sort of the farmers to the you know the to, to you know the the peasants to the lords and everybody were basically able to use a ural and also everyone could fix a ural so you had this this one little tool roll that comes with the bike at the back which has got something like 15 tools and with which you can essentially do everything you need to do on the bike and when you take it to a you know any mechanic and on the road there's always a solution and it quite often involves you know hitting it with a hammer or kind of welding something onto something else but it's it's completely fixable whereas a lot of the bikes today end up becoming so complicated with their kind of CPUs and you kind of plug them in and you've got to you know download the software and and check for updates and all that kind of stuff whereas the Ural is just this classic bit of design that's endured over over decades and now even now stands for this sort of romantic you know you know days days of yore when motorcycling was was um a new thing and 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 it's just a, it's a it's it's just a wonderful wonderful machine and the very sound of it i was just playing some video footage back the other day um earlier today the sound of that engine is just incredibly evocative for me and, it, and it's a really beautiful uh beautiful noise and it's it's unusual you certainly don't hear it in the streets of london and uh i recommend that uh, anybody out there gives it a go no, hopefully that wasn't an advertisement for Ural, but <laughs> that, was, that was such a little love story. It really I don't was. It was I've beautiful. Him, I don't think I've ever heard. Really, you did Alana have to go on this trip? Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't really have worked unless it had been investigation into relationships without my wife. Right, yeah. I was thinking the relationship with the Ural, but um, well, so exactly. How reliable was the Ural for the trip? Uh, it was it was great. I mean, you know, uh, we we thrashed it about. You know, we we really worked it incredibly hard. The, we had one incident, which was a result of what we put it through uh, when we got to Bolivia, and um, when we were in high altitude, we kind of had you know restricted oxygen, and we needed to change the jets inside the carburetor to make sure there was kind of greater oxygen flow to uh, to the to the cylinders, and essentially. Um, even though we'd done this, we, we couldn't quite get enough power because it was such a high uh, town that we were in. And uh, this combined with essentially sitting on the clutch as we sat in very heavy traffic in, in La Paz resulted in, in frying the clutch plates, which um, f- 
just didn't didn't lock together afterwards because they were just ground down to dust uh and it was just frankly a disaster so we then had to get new clutch plates sent over from seattle uh and they sent them by i think it was ups or i thought it was you know, like the united postal it, it was just a, a very slow process and we were sort of trapped in bolivia for about a month waiting for these clutch plates to arrive during which time we went on a on a uh, national breakfast TV uh, and implored the country to ask the, the the mail service to try and expedite the shipping of our of our clutch plates because we desperately wanted to escape Bolivia. But actually, what I think what was really wonderful on a on a moto travel adventure tip was that we met so many other motorcyclists aren't doing the Pan American Highway, and. Gosh, it's a wonderful thing. I think from the outside looking in, and again, I don't know whether your listeners have found this, but from the outside looking in, but when when Mike suggested we did this trip, we went along to Aces Cafe, which is kind of a, a London bike hangout. And I found it, having not been part of that world before, found it really intimidating. You know, it's a whole load. It's that kind of idea of the Harley Davidson guys and their leathers and it all just feeling very otherworldly. And actually, motorcyclists are the warmest, most wonderful people. And we endlessly bumped into people. There's always that camaraderie on the open road. I I loved being part of it. I miss it a lot, actually. Um, and I think, you know, with young kids, you just kind of take some time out and we'll get back to it. And certainly we'll get back to our sidecar. I think the boys are allowed in when they're seven or older. But given that, that actually Euros don't have seatbelts, you know, it's it's a it's a world of Russian safety. <laughs> <laughs> Seven or older is, is that official from Ural or is that you? I think it's the UK law. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, I it's uh, again, again, it's, it's uh, imagine the small print basically says if you want to try it with your own children, good luck. Um, <laughs> Um, but, so I'm not I'm not sure yet at what point we we coax the uh, the boys into joining us on a motorbike trip, but it won't be for a few years yet. That was the only problem you had then, really, with was the clutch. I mean, I think your exhaust fell off at one point, but that's that's you know that happened. Yeah, that was funny though. Was it the two wheel drive version or a single wheel? Uh, it was a single wheel, unfortunately. Um, again, you know, not much. Uh, although we were very grateful to Ural for the bike, it was uh, you know I was I was quite envious of the two wheel drive option because that 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 one might have might have helped us in those days. And actually, we met up with Austin and Lois in Utah, I think. Yes, Moab, yeah. in in Moab, in Utah, extraordinary monument valley. And they were in a two wheel drive, and we were like, "Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> you could reverse." Oh no, we could reverse. No, we could oh. reverse. Don't do. Don't give them that as a point of difference. No, it just meant meant <laughs> it just meant that uh, you know when you're in really difficult terrain, you can engage the other wheel. It's pretty. It's pretty cool actually. Well, and at one point you drove off the, I think you, there was a couple of points there where you, you had a problem and drove off the road, one of which I have no idea how you managed that. But but in any case, if you had the two-wheel drive, it would have backed out easier rather than having yeah, a, all yeah, that grunt definitely. and push. But, but you did, you managed it. You were going down a hill, you were filming it. So you obviously set up a tripod. You're going down a hill, it's pavement, and you managed to drive off the road. Yeah, so that happened actually as a result of Alana not being in the sidecar. So we we it was, it was extraordinary part of the world in Oregon, uh, in a, near a town called Antelope, I think it was. Uh, and we the sun was going down. We had this amazing view in front of us of these switchbacks, uh, and it was like okay, every, like okay, get out, let's set up the tripod. This is a, a perfect shot. 
Um, and the thing was that what I hadn't um, accounted for, what I wasn't familiar with, was the idea of cornering without a counterbalance in the sidecar, um, as, as, as I lovingly refer to my wife as just the counterbalance. Ballast. <laughs> the ballast. So when, so when, you, when you take a corner in it with a sidecar and you haven't got a counterbalance, the weighting is all wrong. So uh, your point of exit of the from the corner ends up being a whole lot less uh, acute than otherwise you expect. So you kind of end up come. That's why I, I flew off the road at that point. And, and fortunately or not, there was a there was a, a big steel post that was sort of sat up in in the uh, in the verge, and I basically drove the bike straight into the steel post, which actually stopped me and the bike from going down a precipitous uh, kind of cliff edge. <laughs> so we sort of. Tra- the bike a little bit at that point uh i was quite shaken up actually and uh again i think i think you get this on the film but um i sort of the first thing i said which is kind of weird was uh sort of turned to her and said did you get that on camera and then you know (laughs) and then the first thing she did was just started laughing uproariously about how funny it was that i'd driven the bike off the road into a post um but it could have been a lot worse i mean it was we were very very lucky i think and it could have made better footage too yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Capturing the moment of my own death. Yeah. Hey, what was it like to get the Ural through borders? Did you have any problem because it was a sidecar? No, not at all. No, no, no. I mean, in, in many ways, it was, um, again, the thing that, 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 that slowed us down was the fact that it was so entertaining for all of the locals in the queue that we got kind of caught up in in conversations with, you know, interested Guatemalans or Hondurans who all wanted to, you know, sit in it or take a picture or whatever. Um, so that, that was what the main delay was, but certainly didn't change the paperwork. Before you left, you got all scientific about it. You did a DNA test and, and brain scans. What was that all about? So, uh, well, we did three tests uh, at the end of the day. So, so the first one was a brain scan where we'd been working with a psychologist called Dr. Helen Fisher um, and a neurophysiologist, um, Dr. Lucy Brown, who basically had this theory that love exists in three places in the brain, three very separate physiological locations in the brain. Uh, and in their mind, there is a, a sex, romance and attachment. All three live as I say, in different places in the brain. So the idea was that before we left, we were to have a brain scan to see whether or not all these three brain systems were uh, f- fully active. And in summary, they were. And actually, you know, it was it, it went it went incredibly well at the beginning of the journey. What got interesting with the brain scan was when we got to the end of our journey. Uh, we'd had, I think it was CBC in, in Canada, had heard about our, our story and, and they wanted to do a piece on us. And in order to make it relevant and, and up to date, they paid for us to have the second brain scan. And we flew back to New York after being in Argentina to see how we felt about each other after spending nine months in, in the bike and sidecar. And uh, the results were actually quite, quite shocking in that Alana had demonstrated clearly that all three brain systems, so sex, romance and attachment, were still on fire and she was still very much uh, physiological in love with me. My results, on the other hand, were uh, disappointingly uh, weak. Uh, so, so, so uh, the, the sex and the romance part of my brain were essentially absent. However, the uh, the attachment bit of my brain was was on fire. And, and genuinely, there is a scan uh, that is from that session that is now used in textbooks to demonstrate what attachment looks like in humans, um, having only previously been seen to this degree in uh, in prairie voles, which are kind of mammals. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm very lucky, Jim. Very this is quite lucky. an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so that was the brain scan side of things. And then we had this curious thing with the DNA test, which was uh, essentially to see if we were genetically compatible. And they were looking essentially at these three, uh, three histocompatibility complexes to see whether or not our immune systems were, um, were, uh, were basically the same or whether they were, whether, whether they were different. It is based on this thing called the sweaty t-shirt test, where a guy famously in the nineties took a female subject and then 10 male participants and had each of these guys wear, wear the same t-shirt for uh, every day for a week. And at the end of the week, they put their t-shirt into a box and then the lucky female subject got to smell each of these boxes and then rate them in terms of how attractive the um, the, the smell was. And what he demonstrated was, was really incredible, actually. It was that essentially we are drawn to the pheromones, to the smells of people whose immune systems are almost directly opposed to our own. So people whose immune systems, I suppose most importantly, are very different to that of your brother or your sister. Because because fundamentally, you know, nature is encouraging a widening of the gene pool, so to speak. And so to find somebody who has a very different immune system is a very attractive quality. So we had that looked at and we, we out of these three histocompatibility complexes that we were studying, two of them were very different. One of them was the same. So make of that what you will. But, but it hasn't seemed to have, uh, have uh, hindered our, our two boys uh, as yet. Um, and then the final one, which, which, which I think was actually in many ways the most terrifying, was working with a man called Dr. John Gottman, who is a very, very established relationship scientist in Seattle. Who's published over forty-two books, and he—he he is an amazing. He's—he's he's essentially the first guy to really bring the rigor of statistics to a subject as as woolly and difficult as as relationship science. And Dr. Gottman famously declared that he could tell with ninety-six percent accuracy from a three-minute argument between a newly married couple whether or not they would stay together for for life or not. So we went out of our way uh, to try and find. Dr. Gottman trying to get him to basically have um, have a one-to-one -one with us, which we managed to do at the end of the day. But we had one of his therapists uh, actually did this test and he kind of broke down our interaction, our, our sort of interplay of characters and our, um, our, the, the characteristics of the sort of psychometric behaviours. And he, uh, he, he actually, he concluded that we, we got on very well with each other and actually we had a very, you know, similar sense of humour. Uh, and his only, his only watch out was um, that he thought that maybe, maybe it was a British thing, but that perhaps we relied too heavily on alcohol to have fun. Uh, so again, make, make of that as you will. And I think he got that one right, to be honest, but it, it had, again, hasn't slowed us up too much, but yeah, it was a great way of sort of combining, you know, science with, uh, with reality. I think there's a lot of people who will sort of, uh, I, I don't know, at least be taken aback, maybe even be offended by the fact that you can, you know, turn it into a science, the whole thought of love, but, um, you sort of skipped over the attachment thing. I mean, you'd fallen out of love <laughs> when you came back, according to the computer. What it was showing you was all your little spots that are supposed to light up in the in the lighter colors on the screen weren't there. What's the deal? Well, I mean, I think I say very uh, very importantly here. It's not to say that none of the lights were were, were on. Um, very importantly, the one light that was on was the attachment one, and actually, the attachment one is that is is the, uh, the 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 behavior or is the neural activity that people are looking for, or you'd expect to find in like an eighty year old married couple. The the lights that weren't on was sex and romance, which again, having shared a tent with each other and and you know generally kind of seen the uh, 
the the least sexy side of each other uh it wasn't particularly surprising and actually the really important thing about about that was that we then had a third brain scan uh after being back in london for uh, six months and we demonstrated actually very clearly that when you have a nine to five job and you're actually not seeing each other every minute of the day and you're kind of away from each other for a bit and you come back to see each other from for a meal in the evening or the weekends there's a real sense of of bringing that so that spark of, of romance and sex back in becomes a much more feasible thing where whereas when you are literally spending every single minute of the day with each other it becomes incredibly difficult to you know have to keep the magic and to kind of the mystery and all the rest of it uh which which you know we married people i suppose now now know so well is 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 merely an illusion but the one thing <laughs> no, and so cynical. it's not an illusion it's not an illusion it's an illusion that helps the beginning of the process but the really the really key thing as i say is is that the attachment bit um was was still there and and again of all the lessons that we learned you know the thing that really stays with me is that that knowing that um that at the very bottom of everything when you strip it all away and actually that if you are if you can be confident that you genuinely feel that sense of attachment with the other person then the rest of it's golden you know like they don't worry about the kind of the hollywood style romance or, or the dramatic sex or all the rest of it it's got to come down to what really is a a very deep connection and 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 is a very hard thing to um you know to put your finger on so so the point you just made about about how some people may be offended that you can you know uh, categorize and dissect love in such a way i think the wonderful thing about this experiment is that it's basically drilled down and drilled down and found what is the core of a long-term relationship which is this attachment uh feeling but once you get to that you know almost irreducible element it is still an irreducible element and it is still kind of uh you know a mystery uh, but it's it's more about the interplay between that element and then the other elements of what we see to be love so that's the element that matters the most on your trip you talked to i think it was 120 different couples that um i assume had been married for a long time first of all i'm sort of curious how do you arrange that as you're on a motorcycle trip well, that actually, you earlier said that the preparation must have been phenomenal. Well, actually, we did it all on the road. So in terms of finding the couples, we just, what we do after a while. So if you start with the premise that you're talking to couples about love, um, specifically about relationships, you hear a lot of cliches over and over again. I'm sure that any uh, you know marriage therapist would say the same thing. However, what we then decided to do was to try and find couples that were indicative of an area that we were driving through. So, or at least or, or that were interesting within the context in which they lived. So in LA, we found swingers and we found porn stars because obviously those are things that, you know, LA is Is more... that what LA is about? <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> well, Mike was definitely keen, keen to find the porn stars. I normally <laughs> did a lot of, I, I did a lot of the, the couple's research. So the way that it broke down and and again, this is one of the things that we learned about our relationship is that Mike is kind of tireless and tenacious. And so he was very good at making sure that the bike stayed on the road. He was all about the filming and about backing up the data and about just keeping us going, basically. And then I was much more about phoning people up and researching couples and trying to convince people to be part of our, this, you know, our crazy adventure. And 
so what we would do is arrive at a place, I'd Google the place and try and get a sense of what made the place. And then we'd start to ask people, you know, normally we'd start with if we were staying in a hostel or a hotel, we'd ask them and then, you know, or in a local bar. Um, and so things like, well, Guatemala was quite interesting because, you know, when you hit uh, Central America, there are lots of countries there. And I didn't know what made Guatemala different from Honduras, which made, you know, Honduras different from El Salvador. And so we started with Wikipedia and just Googled it, you know, Googled Guatemala. And there were two names at that time mentioned in the Wikipedia post for Guatemala. One was a poet who died 150 years ago. And the other was Rigoberta Menchu, who won a Nobel Peace Prize 1992. And so we, I just phoned her. Uh, And she agreed, she's married a younger man, a much younger man, and the two of them agreed to be on camera. And so we would just try exactly that. So, you know, when we got to Colombia, there's a very famous, well, one of the most famous captives of the FARC who spent seven years in the jungle. We just phoned him up tried, you know, asked if he'd be prepared to talk to some crazy Brits on in some ludicrous overalls on a motorbike. And they were prepared to talk to us. So it became a kind of lesson in just asking, having a go. And, you know, that was really how we kind of amassed couples as we went along. You know, we'd ask people that we were staying with or people that we met in the street if there were interesting stories. And then that would just start, up, start the ball rolling. Uh, and then we'd hunt people down and ask them if they'd take part. Are you going to get a whole bunch of different answers or did you find a lot of similarities? Well, I think, you know, something that I'd read during the trip said that actually asking people about their relationships isn't that useful. It's much more useful to look at people in relationships and understand how they interact. Um, And I think if we were to do it again, we'd probably concentrate on fewer couples and spend more time with them. But the advice that we got given was often quite linked to the places that we were going through. So once you got past the respect each other or, you know, communication is the most important thing, you know, they're cliches for a reason because they are great advice. But understanding what those words, what that advice means for each individual couple is the important bit. But you then equally get, you know, somebody in Alaska advised us never to share a two-man canoe, you know, that kind of thing where actually – that you can really understand why that advice is great advice. Um, but ultimately, I think we learned lots about ourselves, just the act of sitting down and listening to other people talk about their relationships and seeing what love looked like in its various guises. But equally, just the act of interrogating our own relationship proved to be incredibly an incredibly good foundation for our relationship. Is there a lot of pressure that you feel, the both of you, because you're sort of this poster child for love that's been researched and, you know, you did all the tests and supposedly you've passed all the tests. Do you feel that pressure? That's actually, that's a great question. It's a great question. I mean, I think, to be honest, if, if, our, if our film was an international box office smash hit, then maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Given that one person watches it a month. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, again, coming back to what I was saying earlier, I think, I think that the pressure that we now feel uh, around our, 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 I mean, speaking for my wife here, but um, the pressure that we now feel, I think, is, is almost entirely as, as parents. And actually that the responsibility now comes not, not 
at all to this project. It comes down to making sure that we are doing the right thing for for the the kids that we've created. So it's quite a weird uh, shift in priority, you know, where where it began as a kind of academic pursuit that just seemed like a bit of a bit of an interesting kind of anthropological study. Um, and the reality is that we couldn't have imagined the 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 benefits or or the or the or the positive side effects of choosing this subject matter uh, to be so relevant to ourselves. I mean, bearing in mind that before we started, we were talking about, you know, basically what what kind of stories can we tell as we drive through the Americas? Why don't we, you know, look at the history of chocolate or and <laughs> whatever it was? You know, we kind of talked about a few things that, frankly, we weren't particularly interested in or, or weren't remotely uh, qualified to, to talk about. And we sort of came across this um, and acknowledged that it was about the fact that we wanted to explore, you know, relationships um, as a result of being completely naive and actually having no understanding whatsoever. Despite having, you know, made a made a pledge or a vow at an altar, we weren't qualified to understand the secret of lasting love. And if anyone needed to know, uh, then a newly married couple, you know, really, really did. So, you know, to, to that end, I think I think we we were very lucky to have stumbled across this subject because it stood us in really good stead. Was it more the trip about about love or the whole researching love, or is it the motorcycle adventure itself that you feel that you got the most out of as far as a couple pulling you together? That's a great question. That's a great question. Because again, I, I really think that, that, you know, even now I get these wonderful flashbacks and incredibly boring meetings at work. I can just see that suddenly <laughs> picture picture a hillside in Bolivia or, or you know, a, a, a rainforest in Colombia. Um, and these are the things that kind of spur me to thinking about the next adventure or thinking about kind of, you know, the, the scale of the world outside. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful sort of flick book to have in my mind. Um, but it's, it's a completely sort of separate indulgence. And again, it, in many ways, the, the whole thing is an indulgence. And again, I think in the reality of real suffering and, and real problems that people face, you know, the very fact that we were able to say, oh, we're testing our relationship on the road is an indulgence. And I think we're, we're very, very lucky. And we have to acknowledge how, how lucky we are to have been able to, you know, not only go on a trip of a lifetime, but also learn so much from the world's greatest relationship scientists. And I think our only hope actually to, to have got out of all of this is to create a, a thing that, out of the work that we've put in that other people can actually learn from as well. So again, without wanting to be too sanctimonious or to, you know, to preach uh, about the great word of marriage. It's more about, you know, how do we condense everything that we've learned over the course of eight months about ourselves into something that that really could be watched or enjoyed by people who simply don't know us, um, but by the nature of the fact that they're human. So whether or not they're in a relationship, I think everyone's interested in love and trying to understand what makes a relationship work is is a kind of a universal truth for everybody. So, you know, if, if we could have essentially helped, you know, one one other couple out there, then then we've achieved our objective. So what are the secrets to love and moto travel? I mean, in a nutshell, what did you learn? <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm just going to double back on that previous question quickly. Sorry. Sorry, Jim. No, that's good. <laughs> um, the... I think one of the challenges actually with what we decided to do in the film that we eventually made is that it is it is both it is both a wonderful motorbike adventure for us and it was also a film about relationships and garnering advice and actually 
I think it's more fun in a way to watch a long way down style thing, which is just a simply a celebration of life on two wheels on the road or in our case, three wheels. That is really fun. You know, the, the bit that gives us all of the memories is you know, the real life, the fun memories, the, 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 you know, the kind of mind wandering in the middle of meetings thing was the road trip. And the road trip was just amazing. And I would advocate to anybody who is able to take some time to pick a chunk of the road and, and get your bike out. Um, you know, again, it's an amazing privilege, but it was a really, really extraordinary and wonderful thing to do. Um, and the people you meet and we just, it was just the most life enriching experience that we could ever have imagined for it. So that's a wonderful thing. The relationship side of it was almost like the study. That was the the hard work bit, uh, the bit that that made it almost like some kind of thesis that we were writing. And so exactly as you would expect from a thesis, we have enduring knowledge from it. So we have the happy memories from the adventure part of it, and we have the enduring knowledge from the study part of it. And how wonderful for us that the two should have been able to overlap whether or not we were able to capture that overlap in the film who knows but for us it has been an extraordinary experience that i can't imagine we would ever be able to replicate and i'm delighted that it's part of our shared past together because it's so strengthening and i end up sounding so earnest whenever i talk about this um but you know, as time goes on, I just look back and I think what an amazing thing that we did. And we didn't know that we were doing an amazing thing, um, but it affected us in ways that we could never have imagined. And, you know, I, I, in the same way that um, Austin is endlessly talking about, you know, everybody needs to go and have their own mini adventures in whatever capacity that they can, whether or not that's just taking a bike for a weekend or, you know, in Canada, you can go anywhere. Canada was one of our most extraordinary countries that we went through because you have it all uh, under one one nationality, one language or two languages. You know, and that was actually why we chose the Pan American Highway, because we could do the whole trip in two languages. Whereas if we tried to, you know, go across Africa or even go across Europe to Asia, it would have required so many more languages. And here you have just two languages that can cover, well, it ended up being almost the circumference of the earth because we did so much winding, winding, <laughs> winding round. Um, but yes, yeah, so in answer to your question, both parts of it are really important. But I think the fun came from the fact that it was done on a bike and the study was the bit that, you know, the enriching bit, um, came from the relationships part, but it was a much, that side's the much more earnest part of it. Do you think the motorcycle trip itself would have been as good without this focus? I mean, because, you know, we, we talk about theme trips on this show, you know, about making a theme out of something that you're doing, a, a trip that you're planning, because it sort of gives you a focus while you're out there instead of just riding from one spot to another, you've got a focus. And, and do you think that would have been the same if you didn't have that focus, if you're just looking for scenery and beaches? I think that's a great question, Jim. I, I, it's um, it's something that's sort of driven me before I met Alana, actually, in terms of travel. I really wanted to make sure that when I was going to a country, there was a reason for going to that country, or there was somebody there who I wanted to meet, or there was a, a book that someone had written about that country, or that I, I, you know, there was, there had to be something else aside from the Lonely Planet, or aside from, you know, a collection of bars and, and, and you know, B-side resorts. Um, and I think you're right. I think for me, it's about adventure with purpose it's about walking around you know this this reality is that you don't get a chance to 
do an adventure all the time unless you're a professional adventure motorcyclist of which there are there are few um but if if you are going to do this and it is going to be one or two trips of a lifetime then you've really got to make sure that that there's there's some kind of red thread that holds all those experiences together that there's something that you can kind of say you know uh, it's more than just you know, uh, I went because it was there. It needs to have, in my mind at least, a uh, a real purpose of 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 something. So I, again, it can be as arbitrary as you know Tony Hawk's Round Island with a Fridge, one of my favourite travel books of all time. Guy takes a, a bet from an Irishman about how hospitable the Irish are, and he thinks he can get around the around the whole of Ireland simply by hitchhiking, bringing a fridge behind him, uh, and 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 you know asking people for a lift uh, all the way, and it is. It's, it's it's doesn't really matter what the purpose is, but having some kind of purpose is 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 a is a really good thing. Well, but but okay, so I I totally agree with you, Jim. That actually that's a great thing to advocate that that giving a journey a purpose does add an, a layer that you can't imagine to it. You know, it will take you in directions that you hadn't otherwise foreseen. That said, we did for much of um, north of South America, we were with a group of motorcyclists. There were kind of 15 of us and they would go off and go and see the sites and we would go off and interview couples. And, you know, we'd say, oh, we'll see you at the end of the day. And they'd come back and say, oh, well, we've, you know, we've seen a uni or, you know, the the salt flats or we've seen uh, Machu Picchu. And we'd say, oh, well, we've interviewed you know, some Ecuadorian farmers. And it actually just entirely depends on what you want to get out of your trip. And for us, uh, and and actually the film shows this, that I love people and I love chatting and Mike loves having purpose. And so actually for us, it was an amazing thing to have chosen. And it, it bound the trip together and it gave us a reason. And every day we'd wake up and say, okay, well, what are we looking for in the next place that we're going through? And, you know, and and we basically we, we often talk about it as a kind of people tourism. You know, we we really met lots and lots of people. We met people in pretty much every single place that we stopped, um, which is a luxury and a privilege and and an extraordinary enriching of an experience. That said, actually, who's to say that that seeing the temples or seeing the extraordinary architecture or you know whether or not it's culture or geographical features that people want to see. I, 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 I always, I was always felt very, um, I, I never wanted us to be the kind of sanctimonious, the word that Mike used earlier, but you know, the thing where we're like, oh, well, you're not really traveling because we're talking to people. Um, but actually it just suited us really well and we really enjoyed it and, and it enriched a trip in a way that we couldn't have imagined. Um, but the others seem to be having a really good time too. So, so, uh, you know, I think the act of getting on the bike is, is the hardest part, um, whether or not you need a theme to do that, I don't know it depends on the person. But I, I would thoroughly say that uh, that a theme made it so much more interesting and opened our eyes. Um, but you know, if if you want to just go and see the tourist stuff, the tourist stuff is great and it's there for a reason. So to get to the real nuggets, then what are the secrets to love and moto travel? Well, the, the the combination of the two, or the secrets of successful motorbike travel, or the secrets of a good relation. I mean, where do we begin, Jim? Where do we begin? Well, the thing is, um, like, put it this way: is it a good thing to do for for a couple? I mean, uh, would you advocate couples traveling together, or would you say it's too stressful, or would you say it's the thing you have to do? 
we interviewed a few of the motorbiking couples who, you know, by this point they were, it was down in kind of Ecuador, Bolivia. Um, and they gave us great advice. I mean, obviously when you're on a bike and you're doing a trip like this, you can't get away from each other. And Mike mentioned it. And obviously his brain systems also mentioned it, that you can't get the requisite distance from the person. So if, the, you know, if the woman is pillion and I'm saying the, the, the couples that we met, the woman was always pillion, which is, I don't think the, the women that we met could even ride. I at least could just about ride a bike. If, you know, my, my, my ideal was that if something should happen to Mike, I should be able to get us to hospital. Um, but you know, there was one couple where she had learned how to fall asleep. Pillion. And apparently the husband would know when she'd fallen asleep because she'd, he'd feel her helmet clunk against the back of his. <laughs> um, and then one other guy gave us a great piece of advice. He said he'd, he'd created an act and, acronym for advice that he gave other riders on how to handle your partner when you were on the bike. And the acronym is CHUT, C-H-U-T-T. And he said, okay, if you, if you bear CHUT in mind, you'll be fine on a bike as a couple. So C is cold. If you're you know, he, he was South African and he'd say to us, like, if your woman is cold, then, then you've really got a problem. So you need to make sure that you've got extra layers. The woman, you know, make sure that she's got a decent coat, a riding jacket, and you'll be all right. The next one is hungry. Um, and actually we met uh, the guy who wrote men are from Mars, women are from Venus, Dr. John Gray. And he was talking about blood sugar levels and how actually women's blood sugar levels plunge. And that is quite problematic in relationships because reason tends to diminish alongside uh, lowering blood sugar levels. So make sure you've always, he'd said to us this, you know, the chit guy said, make sure you've always got some kind of trail mix or some kind of snack that you can give your partner while you're on there because hunger will actually make a difference. And we had one of our biggest arguments in Arizona simply because we hadn't had breakfast. (laughs) And oh my goodness, you know, the the air was blue as the two of us (laughs) stropped about the place. Um, the next one is urinate. And actually one of the things with bike travel, as everybody listening will know, is that it's a real, it's, you know, you've got to factor in that if somebody needs the loo, you've got to stop for the loo. Um, thirsty was the next T. So make sure that you make sure that you have, uh, uh, liquids, a supply of liquids with you. Um, and then the final one, and this was his thing. He was like, this is the hardest one to solve, but tiredness if either of you is tired, the only way to solve it is a good eight hours sleep. But really, life on a bike will be massively compromised if either of you is too tired, because it's hard enough. You know, it's wonderful and it's brilliant and it's exhilarating, but it's also really hard life. You know, we were doing kind of 15 hours of driving a day at, at various points. Um, and if you're too tired, well, if you're tired, if you're the driver, that's very, very tiring. But equally, you know, just being blasted by wind all day, we we deliberately had open face helmets because we didn't want to see, seem too intimidating. You know, ending up looking like Daft Punk with closed, closed helmets, but also with those ludicrous overalls would be quite an intimidating thing to arrive at, you know, any small Ecuadorian village. Um, but it meant that we were very much open to the elements. And if you're tired and you're open to the elements, whether or not it's the cold of Alaskan nights or the rain, gosh, the torrential rain that we got throughout Latin America, um, you know, that's that's hard. So make sure you get enough sleep. So I hope that that's an answer to relationships and bikes. Uh, there are just ways of making the two go together more smoothly. Um, 
but I, a bike trip obviously you just can't get away from the other person yeah <laughs> I, yeah i think i think i've i've got I've, I've got a couple i think i think again they are they are unfortunately not very very uh, poetic uh, and more practical um but one of the things we found out very very early on having never done anything like this together before was the roles and responsibilities thing you know like we always talk about that at work you know you kind of go into a meeting and you want to know who's in the room and what they're going to do for each other almost straight away and because you're a, a, a partnership because you're married you kind of assume that you already know but the reality is that when it comes down to you know who's who's responsible for the food who's responsible for fuel who's responsible for you know the the itinerary and navigation and and, and border crossings and all that stuff um you've got to be really clear with each other up front as to what you want to do and, and what you think they should do and what your strengths are so that's one thing which i think is you know genuinely sitting down in a cafe on day one going right this is what you do this is what i do are we clear you know um and then, and then I think the 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 other one, which actually sort of referring back to the brain scan from from before, is is the the, the idea of being twenty four seven with each other and try and remember that you will genuinely love each other more as a result of spending a bit of time apart from each other. So particularly if you're on a on a, on a long trip for kind of more than three or four months, um, there there it stops becoming a honeymoon. It stops becoming a romantic road trip when you know you are you are still you know the the other person is is still within your field of view that wherever you look they're they're somewhere <laughs> and you and you can't escape or, or their voice is still you know echoing in your ears and there's no escape you know you've i mean he's really the, the romance of this is unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> but but i think i think just to take time out on, on a day off and just be like all right you know what i'm going to spend four hours just hiking up a hill over there or or we'll do our own things i think that's quite important to remember in the middle of a, of a big adventure trip You'd mentioned about interviewing people who are who you met along the way, who are bike riders, and they managed to find ways to make it work. I'm sort of curious: did they find ways to make it work, or do you have to be compatible to begin with? That that's again a great question. In that, of the couples that we travelled with, and there were about four of them, one ended up divorcing. So actually, the the the, the crucible of the of the trip just put too much pressure on a relationship that was not destined potentially to survive anyway. So it is an extreme act of, of stress testing as it were. And I think if, if there are cracks, then you're putting it under a strain that perhaps it might not survive. However, on a, to be less Mike and more Alana, the, the optimistic of the two, I would say that actually you're going to learn things about each other that are going to strengthen the relationship ultimately. Um, we interviewed one woman in Southern California, and you know, as as you'd expect from advice from Southern California, it was quite Southern Californian. Um, but she was talking about wabi sabi love, so this Japanese idea in art that imperfections actually make something more interesting. And I, they, you know, I'm I'm no expert on it, um, but actually, what we discovered. At the time when we were talking to her, it was still very easy. You know, California is a beautiful place to be on a road trip. And and it wasn't nearly as challenging as once we'd you know started going further south and the rain came and the language changed. And, you know, culturally, it was very different. Um, and I've slightly lost my train of thought. But it's about appreciating the, uh, the flaws in each other and just making sure that you can not only acknowledge the flaws that, that the other person has, um, but also figure out what the upside is and, and, and what's good about the fact that this is a thing that this person does and what can you do together as a team to, you know, not just um, 
paper over the cracks, but kind of use that to your combined strength, if you see what I mean. And, and actually, in a really cheesy way, the things at the beginning, when we were talking to all of these relationship counsellors, um, you know, and they were pushing us to find problems in the relationship, the re- we, we summed up the problems as Mike gets uh, kind of blinkered in his focus and it can be very hard to engage him when he's in that kind of zone. And I am just overly chatty and it it drives him mad because, you know, he'll be trying to get us out the door and I'll be chatting away to the receptionist or the waitress or whoever, basically whoever will listen. And so at the beginning we had kind of this idea of work Mike and chatty Lanny, as he called me. And that was the thing that we thought was going to drive us apart because we got so irritated by the other person entering into this thing that we found so annoying, these characteristics that were so diametrically opposed to what the other person had. And genuinely at the end of the trip, those were the things that had made the trip happen. So Mike's tenacity and that kind of, his mother referred to it as stickability when he was little, but his stickability was what made sure that the bike was still on the road. You know, it was it was Mike at the beginning in Alaska who spent five days with this incredibly patient mechanic, wonderful guy called Mickey, who taught Mike everything about the bike. And Mike was the one who then, you know, had to, not only was he keeping the bike on the road and, and having to worry about things like the jets, um, but equally the documentary. And before we went, somebody said, if you, if you decide you're going to film this, it will double your workload. And it more than doubled it. The filming part of it, Mike was audio. He was filming. He was data capturing. He was data storage. He was making sure that the camera worked. And all of that stickability that had driven me so mad, that kind of those moments when he he just went off into his own world and it was almost impenetrable to be like, Mike, come on, we've got to, Mike. Um, that was what kept us on the road. And similarly, the things that drove him mad about me, this chatty Lanny factor was, you know, actually became our strength in finding the couples because I was the one who would walk into a bar in the middle of nowhere. And and actually when we crossed into Mexico, I didn't speak any Spanish. And then, you know, just the need to be chatty Lanny again meant that I was speaking Spanish fine by about kind of Panama, Peru, Panama, Colombia. Um, and a total fearlessness to go up to anybody, phone anybody, you know, phone up a Nobel Peace Prize winner and just say, hey, long shot, I don't suppose you fancy giving us an interview, do you? Um, and that worked in our favour. So by the end of the trip, the very things that drove us absolutely nuts in our relationship before the trip became the thing that made the trip work. And don't get me wrong, you know, I still still work Mike, raise his ugly head. And But I think actually just as a, you know, whether or not this is a sign off or not, um, the act of thinking about a relationship is really, really healthy for a relationship. And we saw that with every couple that we interviewed, their body language during the time of talking. And we only asked three questions. We'd ask, how did you meet? What's your advice for us? And what is love? Those were the three questions that we asked. And you just could see couples transforming their relationship with each other, you know, they'd smile more. It just is a very, very healthy thing for a couple to stop and think about why, why they work or what works or why they love each other. Um, so, you know, even if you're not going to get on a motorbike trip and do the Pan American highway, just ask your parents or your children or your neighbors, what makes them a great couple and watch as you see two people think about their relationship and it's truly a wonderful thing. And it, and that was really a privilege that we got to learn from 120 different 
couples from such different walks of life. I mean, we're talking, you know, isolated Mennonites in the Bolivian jungle, right through to the Colombian presidential candidate, you know, high profile to the lowest profile to busy to, you know, whatever it is. You know, we interviewed somebody from CSI. We interviewed um, gauchos in in Argentina, winemakers. You know, we'd try and find people who, who told stories of the places that we went through, but that every single one of them was prepared to share their story with us. And not just their story, which was, you know, words on paper, but ultimately a feeling. You know, we they come away, you ask about love and you get love. It was really an extraordinary and privileged thing. It was amazing. Well, it's interesting, you know, just sitting and watching the movie. And of course, that comes up automatically. You start to question things and you start to wonder, OK, well, what is it? What do we think, you know, love is and why have we stayed together? My wife and I have been together since we we're um, 17 years old, you know, just teenagers. And, and you're now grandparents. Congratulations. Right. And we're grandparents now. And But the thing is, the to say that there's, a you know, the formula and that we chose correctly and everything, first of all, I mean, if you, I mean, I think it's to, to look, even if you looked at the formula, even if you said, okay, this is what I need, this is the type of person I need to find, try and find that person. In reality, your chances are, are probably somewhat slim to find your ideal mate. So, some of that is happenstance, you know, some people will call it luck, but I mean, I, I would call yeah, it happenstance yeah. where you just happen to be, we're lucky. I mean, you know, if there is such a thing, but it, we, we happen to click and to nail it down, boy, it, it really does. It, it sends you, it sends your mind reeling and, and really you don't even necessarily agree on it as at least in our case as a couple of what it is exactly that, that makes the right um, potion, you could say, you know, to, to make the love last. It's, it's an interesting one. And of course, it's, it's much deeper than we can get into. And, and I guess maybe even somewhat off topic for us here. But I'm curious, I want to ask you about the movie and how people get it. But before I go, I just want to get some last tips. Do you have tips for couples that may be traveling together? I mean, yeah, I, th I think we've sort of sort of said this, but but the idea of really sitting down with each other and actually setting out your goals and understanding what what you're gonna what you're trying to get out of this, but also what um, you know what you can offer and what your flaws are and what your strengths are and actually how you can you know build on 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 it as a as, as a pair. And this 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 thing is you know just to just to revert to your earlier point that happenstance of of finding the right person in many ways, isn't the subject of the story. In many ways, that's the, all of Hollywood. And that's that's about how you get to the altar and how, how you, you find the right person and fall in love and all the rest of it. The, the thing that, that really fascinates us is, is, is this idea of like, okay, you're married, now what? And no one ever talks about the fact that, you know, you've got the rest of your life together. What does that actually mean? And what do you do to, you know, look after a, a, a marriage and how do you make it healthy? And, you know, what, why, why do people you sort of hit the skids and what can we do as, as people whose marriage is okay at the moment to kind of, you know, bolster themselves for the future and what, what are the kind of things that, that the future might have in store that we should try and think about in advance. And those are the things that I think until it happens to you, in which, in which case it may be too late, um, people very rarely kind of sit down and, and, and try to artificially confront it. You know, as I say, this has been quite a, quite an academic adventure in many ways where we, we didn't need to do this. We didn't need to explore the inner reaches of our relationship. But in doing so, we learned what our love looks like. And that's not a love that's the same as your love or anyone else's. But what we have managed to do is essentially, you know, you know, um, drill down into it and, and, and be very clear about what works for us. 
And and from the point of view of a trip, couple going on a trip, I think my advice and oh my goodness, the word advice, you know, we got so much advice for this trip. And then obviously you end up, you know, we've had children and the amount of advice you get when you have children as well um, is just to work out what each of you want from it. As Mike said, you know, if you start off and one person says, okay, I, I want an easy ride. I want to do two hours riding a day. And the other person says, okay, I want to cover as much ground as I possibly can. And I want to see as many countries as possible. Then already you've got to start with some level of compromise. But the act of saying that I think is, is the thing that will set the trip up in a better way. And how does someone get the film? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's actually available on iTunes and it's also on our website, goingthedistance.org.uk. Mike, Alana, I mean, we could talk for a lot longer. This is a huge subject, but uh, the film is great. And I hope people decide to go and look at it and see, because I think there's a lot about marriage, but there's also about uh, a lot in there just about dealing with being a couple together and dealing with the stress that we find on the road. Mike, Alana, thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. That was Mike and Alana Clear. The movie is Going the Distance, and you can either rent it or buy it at their website, www.goingthedistance.org.uk. And that link, of course, will be in our show notes. Stick around. We're going to be right back. we got a lot more coming up, actually. We're going to talk to some other couples and get some interesting secrets and stories about being on the road. All coming up in just a minute. While Graham Field's book, In Search of Greener Grass, has just been released for North America in print, and uh, this is a slightly different version. It's been uh, updated and had some photos added and whatnot. It wasn't available before for North America, but it now is through a company called Road Dog Publications. So Graham's book is available now. You can get it at most bookstores, or you can go to Road Dog themselves and pick it up there as distributed all over North America. Road Dog Publications is owned by a motorcyclist named Michael Fitterling, and Mike has a host of motorcycle adventure books at Road Dog Publications. Drop by their website, www.rooddogpub.com, and check out titles like Northeast by Northwest by Mike Fitterling. That's brand new, just out. Asphalt and Dirt by Aaron Heinrich, which is really hot right now. Bonneville Go or Bust, which you've probably heard before because we've had Zoe Cano on this show before. Um, Beads in the Headlight by Isabel Dyson and more. Again, the website, www.rooddogpub.com. And of course, when you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Tour USA is a motorcycle rental company based near Seattle, Washington. It's a perfect launching point for any trip on the west coast of Canada, the United States. And I'm looking at their website right now on under rentals. They've got a full line of adventure bikes. They've got F800 GSs, F700 GSs, R1200 GSs, and the Kawasaki KLR650. Now, the good thing is all the bikes are equipped with protection for adventure travel, as well as the extremely durable Pelican Panniers. 
all this is set up to minimize damage if you have a tip over. And that's really important if you're renting a, a bike for adventure. They also have self-guided tours available, including the Washington Backcountry Discovery Route, which is, it was the first of the Discovery Routes, and it's 1,063 miles long, or 1,710 kilometers. And it takes approximately 10 days to do. And you can you, you can get a bike and, and just do the route yourself. You can even arrange a guide for it. Now, that's a route you want to add to your bucket list. Tour USA does rentals, tours, rider training. Drop by their website, www.tourusa.us, and get a quote online. Just fill out their form, and away you go. Again, www.tourusa.us. And, of course, mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. If you want some real wisdom for traveling on the road as a couple, you can't help but notice this couple because they've been on the road for over 14 years traveling by motorcycle. And yes, they're still married. Simon and Lisa Thomas are still on the road. And we just had to talk to them when it comes to this to find out what their secrets are for keeping it together. We tracked them down at their recent stopover in Mexico. talking with Simon and Lisa Thomas, who have been traveling the world for ever um, on, on <laughs> motorcycles. I mean, really, it's so long. I mean, is there any point in, what is it, 14 years, 14, 15 years? It's 14 years on May the 18th. Okay. And we are currently in Mexico. And I think most of us would agree that that's a lifetime, 14 years. I mean, that's, that, that is a lifetime. So you certainly have to have some very good top tips or secrets for traveling with your significant other and staying together. Lisa, do you want to start? Yes. Oh, God, now I'm, now, I'm, now I'm scared. <laughs> um, I read all these, these comments, and when I can get hold of a magazine, I like to read the questions. My husband... He's no longer interested in me. And the the quotes from people are just, um, you have to compromise and work together and listen to one another and agree and not be so argumentative. And I just laugh because I'm argumentative all the time. Um, That might surprise you. Um, And I just tell Simon what I I want to do. And if he doesn't want to do it, I say, oh, well, I don't care. We're doing it. Yeah, but we're pretty lucky. We're lucky because nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, we actually want to do the same thing. That's because I've beaten that into you. You So so you're saying the key is to have a submissive husband? Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, for the last 14 years, I've been, I've been, Trying to, trying to come clean and say, look, this isn't to ride the world. This is Lisa rides the world, and I am literally the bike bitch that follows her around like a little lost puppy, <laughs> picking up her bike and doing the ballet parking. No, no, no I'm not no, saying there that. Has, there, I'm has, just... there has to be a compromise between, well, I use the word compromise carefully. I mean, Lisa and I, are, we've spoken at length about this, and the fact is that you have to be very careful. There has to be some degree of compromise, and that just denotes a level of respect between two people. But ultimately, if you compromise and and bend more than is appropriate, or you find you're doing that a lot, then it's very, very easy to start losing who you are as a person. And I fell in love with this incredibly headstrong, confident woman. Who was that? Who was that? Tell me. I wonder. <laughs> and 
And right from the get-go, I knew that Lisa was going to be a handful and a challenge, and that absolutely hasn't changed. But I also knew the chances of me getting bored or getting distracted, becoming complacent about our relationship was also slim to none, and, and that's borne out. Um, we, we're both very, very uh, strong characters, I guess, um, and we don't generally compromise a lot with one another. And although it can cause momentary friction, in the long term, we still have that level of respect for one another. Because if, if we agreed all the time and compromised all the time, I think things would just turn into some kind of dull status quo. Um, we, have a, we have quite a few discussions, maybe arguments. Hmm. Um, and you've got to get it out in the open, have a good shout at one another, tell the other person what you think. Um, and then move on. Um, it, it's, it's when you don't speak your mind and you feel like there's a constant pressure to adhere to whatever the other it's wants. It's too easy to feel resentful. And that's especially on the road. If there's something you don't want to do or you don't want to ride that day, or you're having an off day, or you want to go into a city and see some of the museums um, and your partner, whether it be the you know male or the female, whichever, goes. Nah, I don't really want to do that. Don't don't then go. Oh well, I wanted to, and then keep that resentment. Just go and do it. Um, I, and I think that's how we have managed to keep on the road so long. But in fact, we have a very heated argument, but we're pretty clear with one another as to exactly what we want and where we want to, when we want to do it. And the end result is that when you're traveling abroad, everything's new. You're not talking the same language as often. You've got a lot of out, you've got a lot of external pressure that's very easily built up. And the risk of taking it out on one another and having a very simple or silly argument turn into something so much worse just because you're channeling the angst that you've built up from dealing with just the day-to-day -day issues of traveling. It's just important to, you know, to keep things uh, in perspective and to, and to talk openly and honestly, sometimes, you know, heatedly, and then move on and not, and not build things up. How do you do that when, you, when you're having a conflict? How do you talk openly and honestly, you know, without, um, without letting it go too far? Um, do you know what? Honestly, normally it does go too far because this is an interesting one. Let's see if Lisa agrees. And Okay. No smart answers. Let's see if you agree. Nine times out of ten, um, I'll be the one that will offer the olive branch. Um, it's not. It's not because I'm um, less frustrated, but I have a better handle on keeping myself in check. Lisa will just fly off and get very, very angry uh, and say things that she doesn't necessarily mean, and I just have to bear in mind that okay, I've got to take the high road. Um, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to try and keep things in check until I get to a point where, no, I can't do it any longer. And that may be minutes, that may be days. Would you say that's a fair compromise? Is that a fair explanation yeah. as to how we do things? Yeah, I think that's I'm the very fair. One. You're the calmer one, and I'm definitely not calm. And I actually do goad you quite a lot too when you remain calm because that pisses me off even more. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I love the honesty here. Really, like um, a lot of what you're talking about, though, it sounds to me like it's to do with um, compatibility. I mean, there's there's different levels of compatibility. And I think a lot of couples, um, when they get together, I mean, I think if you put a group of couples together in one room, you're going to have all different levels of compatibility. Some will yes. really click where the other ones have to work out a little more. And it sounds to me like with you guys, and it's actually the same as with myself and Elizabeth, um, you really click to begin with. So it's even though you do have your debates and you, and you argue, um, it's it's sort of held together with a real strong fabric, a real strong connection right at the get go that you really had um, no say in. It, it's something that's it's genetics. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And yeah. I, I think what's I think what's also really surprised Lisa and myself is that before we started the journey, we both thought we had a really good relationship. And we did. We had a strong marriage. We had our ups and downs like everybody else's. But I don't really think that we thought that our relationship or our connection, for want of a better term, was going to grow as much as it has. Um, and it's very easy to talk about the fact that we found ourselves in a number of you know, life and death situations where we've had to rely on the other far more than either of us ever imagined we would. And obviously, that, that does create a very special bond. Um, and again, it goes back to this word respect. And I, and I laugh and I joke about the fact that I love Lisa all the time. I don't like her all the time. <laughs> That's good. But every, every button that I've got, um, at some point she, she presses, um, and she can make me the angriest guy in the world. And she can make me feel like a little lost puppy where I want to roll over on my back and say, rub my belly. And that can happen in five minutes. <laughs> How she does it, I don't know. But no, I think it's, I think Lisa and I also have a pretty good handle on exactly how lucky we are. Um, I mean, it's something that gets leveled at most couples that travel. At some point they'll hear, oh, you're so lucky. And normally what people mean is that you're lucky to be on the journey. And, and Lisa and I quickly explain, no, the journey is because we made a set of commitments and sacrifices. And we made it happen. Lisa and I feel that we're very lucky because we found each other. Um, and when we got together, neither of us had bikes, didn't know the other person rode. So to find that 14 years later, we are still loving what we do, loving sharing it and found a companion um, husband, wife, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend that can technically handle, physically handle, and want to handle riding around the world, that to me is mind-boggling because the odds are tiny. What about maintaining romance uh, on the road? How do you do that when you're sleeping in tents all the time? Actually, we've been talking about this just recently because both of us have been working very hard um, on laptops, on laptops um, for way, way too many hours in the day. Um, and then really just talking about the, the work side of things way too much. Um, and you do have to be careful that the journey doesn't become all encompassing. And it's always, you know, talking about logistics. Hang on, the, the, the journey itself or just the constant onslaught of problem solving? Uh, yes, that, yeah, about the logistics, problem solving, etc. And a constant worry about lack of funds and so on. Um it is very difficult, and there have been periods of time where practicality has to become to the forefront, um, and you become you become more riding buddies than sure, in a marriage and romantic relationship. We've been through stages like that. I mean, Mongolia was a classic one. I mean, we, we laugh and joke about um, sex on the road. Um, 
And I, I laugh and joke in the presentations about the best form of contraception I've ever found was actually riding in Mongolia in a tent with my wife because, hey, honey, do you fancy, you know, guess what? She says, yeah. Hey, what's that smell? Yeah, that smells bad. Should we just cuddle? <laughs> um, I think going back to the romance question, though, it's also important to be realistic and sometimes just readjust what romance means. Um, if you look at the movies, when Lisa and I were at home and we had our normal jobs and our careers, the idea of romance was just taking a second out of your day to think, you know what, on the way home, I'm going to pop into the supermarket, the florist, the gas station and pick Lisa up a bouquet of flowers. And whether it costs $4.99 or $49.99. I prefer the $49.99. I know. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because romance really is just taking a moment, a second, a few minutes to express or express or show the person that you're with that, hey, with all this whirlwind of other stuff going on, I'm still in love with you and I wanted to show you in some fashion who you are. When you're on the road, you know what, we've tried it, the, bu the bunch of flowers, they just don't last driving 80 miles an hour down the highway. Oh, but you did buy me some beautiful, beautiful flowers when we were in Thailand, all the orchids and things like that. They, they were gorgeous. Yeah, I put them in front of the tent. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you reevaluate what it means to be romantic, um, it can just mean brushing past your wife, your husband, and just stroking the back of a hand, sharing a glance, and just saying, hey, love you. Um, it can be, it, romance can be found in the smallest of gestures. Uh, it doesn't have to be big or grandiose. It's just making the time to let the other person know that those feelings are still there. That to me is romance, and you can do that anywhere in the world um, at any point in the day. So what I think I'm hearing here, if I was to translate it slightly different, um, it seems that what you're saying is remember to show appreciation for something yeah. that you could easily take advantage of or forget about. Well, not, yeah, show, well, not show appreciation, just communicate via touch, via gift, via words that you're still in love with that person. Right. This, this brings me to like I, I picture as a, as a fundamental human flaw that we have is being unable to appreciate something that's in abundance. And, and I always refer to seagulls when I talk about this, because seagulls tend to be in, in most parts of the world tend to be beautiful birds. If you look at the bird individually, but because of their abundance, especially with uh, urban and city areas, um, they tend to be loathed. They look, you know, people look at them and, and they're disgusted with them because they're in abundance. Yet, yes. You know, it, so it seems that we really have trouble. I mean, it's, and that happens with love too, with, with your family. You tend to be hardest on your family, the ones you love the most. Why? Because the love is in abundance and you tend not to value it the same that you would value the rare love of a friend or someone you meet along the road. The minute you start taking anything for granted, whether it's love, family, um, a spousal relationship, uh, revenue, finance, whatever, the minute you start taking it for granted, it becomes devalued. Any other top tips? Yeah, do as you're told. That's for you. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think what also helps us is that we have we have a high level of competition between us when it comes to so. yes, when it comes to riding and things like that. But we don't compete in the other tasks. I know that Simon is much better at mending the bikes than me. I'll help out, but he's much better. He knows that I'm much better 
at at cooking and logistics and organizing, route planning, etc. So he time leaves, management. Yeah, time management leaves that to me. Um, I think there is a there's often a problem um, when people when one does a job and then the other one goes, well, we've not done that right and redoes it. And that can create an awful lot of tension and anger. But now we're just talking about finding where your personal strengths are yes, and playing to those. But that's it. And allowing but people other don't, to do the same. But people don't, especially when they're on the road. I mean, we, we heard of... Uh, we heard of that one couple. Don't mention names. I'm not, no, I'm not going to mention names. Uh, we heard of that one couple who are no longer a couple um, saying, well, she couldn't pack at all. I had to do all of the packing and pack the tent and pack her bike and do this and do that whilst she sat down and read a book. And I'm like, no, that's just not the way that it's meant to work. You're meant to work together. Um it's also... But we've never sat down and actually put pen to paper and said, right, these are your jobs and these ones just, are no, mine. It just works out. We just know how it works. But I think some couples, when they go on the road, maybe they are trying to... Impress one another? Well, I don't know about impress one another. That might happen if they're, they're early into their relationship. Um that sounds bad. No, I'm not trying to impress Hey, honey, look at this. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> um... We've just slid very easily into a routine that suits us, but I think a lot of people, when they start off on the road, are forcing it a little bit, um, working a tiny bit too hard at making everything absolutely spectacular and wonderful. Or perfect. Or perfect, yes. And when you're, and when you're tired and when you're anxious, um, it's also very, very easy to be overcritical of the other person and... They're tired as well, and they're anxious as well, and they're going to react to it. So, you know, biting your tongue or just thinking about what comes out of your mouth before you say it plays a big part. Um, what? Well, I was just going to say, when we do a lot of shows and rallies, we get uh, uh, questions about how can I get my wife, is, and it, unfortunately it is usually that way around, how can I get my wife to want to come on a trip with me? And I will say, well, that's not going to happen because if you try and force that person or coerce the others into coming on a trip with you, it's well, just what, not going to work. But what do you mean by coerce? Um, I mean, there's, there are certain things that I enjoy doing that I'd like to get you involved with, and I, and I have. I'll give you a good example. When we first got together, I wanted to try jet skiing. You'd never jet ski. You had no interest in jet skiing. Because I don't like water, that's yes. why. And you ended up absolutely loving it. Yes. So motorcycles and travel the same thing. But you said you can't force someone to do it or you can't force someone to like it. Mm. And I suppose that's with everything in a marriage, isn't it? But that's an it? important distinction. Mm. I mean, the idea of going out and spending time traveling is because it's, it's fun. If, you, if, if half of the group is just not having any fun, then obviously it's going to ruin things. But I think what Lisa is saying there is that uh, there has to be a willingness on the other side to try. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, there, that's a good example, the, the, the jet skiing. Um, but if the other party doesn't have a willingness to say, okay, I know I'm not going to like this, but I'm willing to give it a go for you, then yeah, you, you probably have no chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and that goes, I mean, that just, I mean, this is just good advice for, for couples generally, you know, outside of the motorcycle travel. Just that willingness to say, okay, well, you know, um, I'm not sure. I have my doubts, but for you, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a try. And then, if it doesn't work out, then, then you know. the other 
path has to accept the, the end result. <laughs> Lisa, Simon, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. As, as always, an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Simon and Lisa Thomas from toridetheworld.com. And they've got a new cookbook coming out soon too. We're going to talk about that in the, in the weeks to come. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are names that should be familiar to you if you listen to our Raw show. And uh, they've been together for a very long time. They're professionals that are retired now and they do a lot of motorcycle trips. I mean a lot. And they always do it together. Shirley rides in the back of Brian's bike. That's about as close as you can get. So they certainly have learned a thing or two about dealing with, well, each other on adventures. Brian and Shirley, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Always great to have you on. Thanks, Jim. It's yeah. nice to talk to you at a reasonable hour today in Australia. <laughs> Did I listen- make that sound really nasty? Those who listen to Rob will know exactly what that means. <laughs> Aside from that, so the, so the secrets, your secrets, your top tips for traveling together and surviving as a couple are what? Well, I should, can I just point yeah, out definitely. to start with, when we did our first trip back in 2003 and we were going away for a year, so many of our friends said to us, you won't last. This will break up your relationship. Just the two of you sitting back to back, you know, back to front on the motorbike, well, being they, together seven days a week. Yes, I said touching each other almost all day, every day, is going to break your relationship. And you know what? It made us stronger. Yeah, it did. Because you tend to, when you're travelling, you tend to rely so much on each other Um you, we make most of the decisions are joint decisions, but sometimes one of us will put our foot down and say, no, I really want to go here or do this or see that. And it's a bit and of a compromise. And then it comes down to compromise. It's a word I was yeah. going to use. It's uh, accommodating your partner. You know, like Shirley wants to see a particular library in Brazil, uh, in, remember that? No, it wasn't Brazil, it was Argentina, mm. in Rio. That beautiful old library, which was a picture theatre, um, three or four storys high. In Buenos Aires, yeah. Brian didn't want to go. Oh, look, I, I, I was so, so about it. But when I got there, it was just magnificent. So I was right. You were right. <laughs> That's the other thing that makes travelling together um, good, if Brian understands that I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. That's one of the top tips right there. <laughs> so I'm seeing a pattern exactly. here. I think couples need a submissive one, somebody that can be browbeaten. <laughs> oh, don't that's you actually, believe that? No, that's, that's, that's not the case at all. You know, it's we kind of interesting because it's kind of interesting because you guys are both strong personality types. That's how you would describe yourself, right? Yeah, I think oh, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so you, you both have your own mind and your own way of, of getting around things. So, so how do you deal with with conflict, for instance, when you when you disagree on something like the library? Um, well, it is a bit of a compromise, and because I really wanted to go. Um, Brian knuckled under. Um, but there have been times like, I know this sounds bizarre, but I think looking at old motorbikes is one of the world's most boring pastimes. <laughs> and we've been to several places where Brian has been ready to cut off his leg to go to a certain motorcycle museum. And if I'm all motorcycled out, I do something else. Yeah, you'll put up with it for a while, and then I do. and then Shirley will say, "Oh, look, I've had I've had enough of this," and she'll go and find a cafe and read a book or do something like that. Or go shopping. Or go. Yeah, well, that's dangerous. That's really <laughs> dangerous. So we but, do that. We have our own time. You know, yeah. there are certain things that I'll really want to do that Brian won't, and uh, so I'll chuff off and do them on my own. 
and if and it's usually only motorcycle things that I just find a bit boring. Engines, you know, you put petrol in a motorbike and it goes. If it stops and it's got petrol in it, it's broken. That's all I know about mechanical surely, stuff. Really, surely, surely, surely. <laughs> how do you how do you maintain romance uh, while you're on the road? Well, you're stuck together. I mean, you, you said you know you're sitting there, you're touching each other all the time. Um, you're you're sleeping in a tent or in, in lousy accommodations together. How do you maintain that spark and the flame? Well, I, I can relate the story about uh, riding down that beautiful coastline of Turkey in the south and you come across a little town and you wander down to a little fishing village and we have lunch and we both enjoyed it so much we stayed and then we'd have a candlelight dinner for two on the on the cliff face overlooking um, the Mediterranean. Remember yeah, that? we have romantic dinners. Uh, so we make it that way or in the uh, Gourmet Valley where you, you go and you have um, these beautiful clay pots um, which you have to break open to get the food out of. Remember those? Yeah. Yeah. And we do things like that to make it romantic. And our, we had our wedding anniversary in Vienna a couple of years ago uh, when we were on our way to Russia. That's right. That's right. And he took me out to a classical music concert in um, the Salon where Johann Strauss used to play. So he's got a re- bit of a romantic streak in him, really, for I, a big, tough biker. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you have to do that, though. And, and it's um, it's important that you, again, accommodate your partner. That's what it's all about. Top tips then, you know, if somebody's coming to you and saying we're heading off on an adventure and, and of course we want to stay together, what would you, what would you tell them? What are the important things to remember? Always um, consider each other's feelings and, um, and do special things together. Things that uh, you would do at home. Like a lot of people have date night if they've got kids, do things like that. Take yourself away from the campsite, away from all the grubby travel travelers and splurge even if it's a splurge picnic in a really beautiful location just away from all the pressures of life on the road and remember that you know without each other you wouldn't be doing the trip really so you just need to know that together you're you're achieving something really quite amazing and that will fulfill your relationship but I guess don't go on a trip if your relationship's dodgy and you think oh well being away well it's all solved yeah because it won't no it won't I think you have to start with um, the idea that we are both here to enjoy this and make sure that each other enjoy it. So that um, you know, if one wants to do one thing and you compromise a little, and sometimes I get really pig-headed about wanting to do a road and there's only one road that Shirley and I um, couldn't make um, because it was just so hard and it was so upsetting for her that I thought, no, no, and I sat down with her and said, no, this is a journey for both of us. If we both can't do it, we don't do it. So there's things like that that you have to consider all the time. What about chores? Do you divide it up in advance? You're going to do the food, I'm going to do the repairs? Um, well, I do a lot of the repair work, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, I'm so au fait with all that mechanical stuff. Well, I look after the washing and, yeah. you know, if we're, if we're camping, I look after a lot I've of the I've got the sack from doing uh, organising accommodation because my idea of good accommodation surely sort of differed a bit. Dramatically, (laughs) differed dramatically, Jim. So I, if we're going to stay in accommodation, I do that and um, Brian does the mechanical stuff and just purely because of our physical capabilities, he does the heavy lifting. You know, I can't do a lot of the things that he does if we need to put the panniers on the bike. You know, they're just literally too heavy and too cumbersome for me to, to deal with all the intricacies of the locks. So those sorts of 
things that just fall into place because of what we can each do. Any other top tips? Boy. Look, just go off with the thought that you're going to enjoy yourself and you love the person you're going with and uh, it's really just the same as being at home, only it's different locations. So your relationship, things that will drive you crazy about the person at home will drive you crazy about the person while you're travelling. But if you can deal with it at home, you'll deal with it on the road. And just think how lucky you are that you're doing something like a, a trip, be it a fortnight or a month or six years, with someone that you love. And sometimes you need your own space. And if that's the case, you talk to people. And we've, we've spoken to tr- other travellers we've met on the road. And, um, and you know, Ken and Carol Travell are great friends of ours. And speaking to Ken and Carol, you know, we'll travel for a while and then we'll go our own way because they want to do that and we want to do that. And then we'll meet up and it's all great. And we've done that with several travellers uh, as well because sometimes you just want your own space. And it's the same with your partner. Sometimes you want your own space. So be prepared to compromise in that regard too. The other thing, Jim, when we're travelling, if we um, if we bump into Ken and Carol, it's always a great joy because Brian and Ken can go and talk motorbikes and Carol and I can just sit and talk and <laughs> talk about... Girly intelligent talk. things. Yeah, and, well, intelligent oh, things, non-intelligent Jim, Jim, things. Jim, don't give up that easily. <laughs> I was, it's I was helping her. <laughs> it's also an opportunity, Jim, when I've got when I can talk to someone like Carol, who understands what life on the road is like, and living out of a pannier and washing your doing all your washing in a sink, um, just to be able to dump and get some of the stuff off your chest that's been driving you crazy, and then you think, oh, I'm not the only one having to deal with this. So to have the opportunity to have girl talk time, and for Brian to have boy talk time, so he can actually discuss those motorbikes he's been looking at that my eyes have glazed over. And how long have you guys been together? Over 30 years. Yep. And how long on the road? Oh, oh well, we did um, 12 months overseas in 2003 oh, Yeah, 16 months to the Americas oh. and six months to Russia. Yeah, up to uh, – So are we right talking tens Australia. of thousands of kilometres or hundreds? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds. 170-something thousand outside of Australia. Outside of Australia. So probably another 100,000 in Australia, I suppose. Shirley, Brian, thanks very much. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Brian and Shirley are available through their website, www.aussiesoverland.com.au. And, of course, that link will be in our show notes. And they have books out as well. If you haven't seen the Rix's books, you've got to go and have a look at that at their website. We're going to take a 40-second break and be right back. How often do you hear a warranty that says, if it breaks, they're going to replace it? And how many of those warranties are for life? Well, to offer that kind of warranty, a company has to know their products inside and out. They had to have tested them well beyond the average user. They must have beat them, really, incessantly to be sure that you can't do worse. And that company, IMS Products. IMS Products are made in the USA, and they have your foot pegs made out of cast-certified 17-4 stainless steel with certified heat treating. IMS products are no stranger to building tough products because they were founded on racing. And in racing, you need nothing but the best. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, mention Adventure Rider Radio so that they know it's working for them. Another name you know from our Raw and, of course, this show as well, Sam Manicom, very well known for his books and his adventures. Eight years on the road, and a lot of that time was spent with his riding companion, Birgit, who he now lives with. So it's been a long-term relationship that has worked out. Again, some great advice for us. Here's Sam. 
Okay, so top tips or secrets of traveling with your significant other. What I'm sort of curious, how long did you uh, travel together for? Well, Birgit and I met um, while she was riding a bicycle through New Zealand for six months. And um, we linked up properly a couple of years later, having both sort of headed off and done our own thing. And um, the longest we've traveled together in one hit is four years. And um, that was fairly stressful to begin with, um, in part because I'd become a two-wheeled hermit in the first four years of my trip. You know, I was waking up every morning and thinking, what do I want to do today, not what do we want to do? And for her, she had the stress of um, not only the reverse, but also she'd only been riding a motorcycle for 600 miles when we started riding together in Africa. So the pressure was full on for her. And how long have you been together now? Oh, since 1995. So you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I don't know. We we always laugh about this because we both know that we met in New Zealand and we both know that we met in New Zealand in 1993, but we're neither of us sure which month it was. (laughs) (laughs) And are you married or committed? Uh, Committed, absolutely. Okay. Okay, so what do you have for top tips? What, what did you guys decide were the secrets to traveling with your significant other and, and maintaining a relationship? Okay, um, proviso from me in, in front of this, um, and I need to get more in the habit of doing this. I can only comment on these things from our personal experiences and observations. But for, for us, the most important thing starts off with find out what each other want from the trip. Um, to us, this is the most important trip foundation. And we may think that we know our partners and we may know, think that we know what they want, but do we really, or have we just heard what we wanted to hear and missed out on the other bits? And we had some friends who sat out thinking that they knew what each other wanted, full of good intent. Um, but my goodness, when they actually started traveling, they suddenly realized that they wanted to head in completely different directions with what they wanted out of the trip. And instead of sitting down and talking things through and adapting, they became um, they got sulky with each other and became defensive and um, the situation just became really dire for them. And for Birgit, um, for, for an example for us is that Birgit's um, a museum fan and I wasn't particularly, but my attitude was, well, hey, if she wants to go into museums, let's go along. And I'm so glad that I did because she opened up a whole new world for us. And when we were going into countries, for example, like Peru and going into the museums there and finding out uh, just all of the history and it brought the whole journey alive because of of her encouraging me to do that and me being open to it. And as a reverse, I really like early starts. I love the photographic lights. I love the fact that starting at that um, with the dawn means that you've got the whole day spread in front of you for to enjoy. And of course, if something goes wrong, then you know, you've know you got plenty of time to deal with it. And so she adapted to that. And she was definitely not an early morning person. So it took her a week or two before she did. The next tip is don't rush the start of the journey. Um, this is really important because it makes for increased tiredness. And so there's no chance to relax and out of the, the pre-trip rush and the pressure. And I know that one of the statistics is that many relationships break up as a result of two-week summer holidays. Um, in part because people just aren't used to spending all that time together. Well, a two-week holiday is a two-week holiday. You go back home and you're back into the run of things. But when you're on the road, you're on the road. And stuffing it up in those first few weeks because you suddenly find that you've got no patience and no tolerance, well, that can actually be um, a trip breaker. And talking of that, um, the next one is don't let a niggle become an issue. 
And we used to say, well, we're not going to go to sleep on problems. But sometimes stepping back actually is best and picking the right moment to talk about something um, can be just as important as, um, you know, just blabbing on straight into it. And sometimes it really helps also to drop things into perspective because when you're tired and you're worn out um, and on the road niggle can actually be just that. And when you've thought about it a little bit more and relaxed, then actually it's not a big deal and it's not even worth talking about. Uh, when you are going to deal with niggles, uh, we always found that it worked way better to pick our place. Um, there was no point in trying to hold a discussion about something that was niggling when there were lots of distractions or pressure of a situation and so on going on. We would always pick the moment where it was quiet, where we were on our own, and we could just really have a, a, a proper chat. And we had a rule was that neither of us would interrupt the other person when um, they were talking. And we made the promise to each other that we would really listen. And we decided that the way to do this was to work on the basis that either of us might be asked to repeat back everything that had just been said. So, and that really focuses you and makes you listen hard. Um, we sort of ran it on um, four key rules. Talk, listen, share, and compromise. And we tried to work it so that um, we tried never to assume that there would be something that we couldn't deal with. We, we tried never to assume that we knew exactly what the other person was thinking about. I mean, there are times where you have to assume, though. For example, you meet somebody, you're on your own, and a wonderful opportunity comes up. But actually, if you don't bite the hand straight away, you may miss the opportunity. So then you have to assume that your partner is going to be up for it. But if you can sort of um, have a, a get out of trouble clause in place, that's also kind of useful because, you know, you may go back and talk to your partner and they just, well, no, I've got no interest in doing that at all. And I really don't. Oh, okay, fine. Well, let's compromise. Let's just get out of it because there is no point in pushing that hard unless, of course, it is really, really important to you. And that's where the listening uh, as well as talking bit comes in. One of the other things we did was try and take equal ownership of the things that had to be done, but to be flexible. And what I mean by that is we planned together and we shared the duties of route planning, things to see along the way, mechanicking, um, shopping, and so on. And Berger even stripped down her bike and rebuilt it with a mechanic just so that she could understand how it worked. And I think that that's great advice for um, a partnership. Um, I'm no mechanic, but when you're on the road, you've got to know how to do stuff. And you may find that you're on your own in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, you've just gone out for a day's bimble while your partner's heading off to do something else. And that sort of thing's absolutely fine. But what happens if you break down and you haven't got a clue? So knowing how to, to, to work together on your bike, for example, I think is really important, even if it's only um, turning it into a social occasion. Can you pass that spanner, please? Yeah, the number 10. Um, oh, can I have the, the flathead screwdriver? And so, you know, the conversation's going, you're having a mug of tea, and you're both learning from watching other, each other working. And that means that it's not being exclusive, as in the bloke always does the mechanicking. Um, we feel that it's important for us both to get involved in all aspects of the journey. Um, the next one is notice every moment that you can help your partner. Actually drum it into yourself um, so that you, you're constantly looking. Is my partner struggling with that? 
does my partner need a hand picking that up? It's just common courtesy stuff. But you get so busy and so wrapped up in being on the move that sometimes you, you forget to notice. And the tension that you can relieve by just suddenly noticing that there's a bit of an issue happening that you can help is really important. And the tale that I want to add on to that is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, sometimes um, independent souls, and you do become um, independent souls as a couple when you're traveling, um, we forget to ask for help. It becomes, uh, you know, yeah, I can sort this out. But actually, just, oh, can you hold that for me for a second? It just makes life so much easier. And this one will make you smile, Jim. Take the time out to smile at your partner and tell them how much you care. It's, again, something that we forget to do too much of the time. And just suddenly, you know those moments where you're sitting looking at an absolutely fantastic view and you're not even needing to talk to each other, but just turning around and having a smile and saying something like, I'm so glad we're looking at this together. It just turns um, a special moment into an, an absolutely wonderful moment. And that's like money in the bank as far as relationships lasting on the road. Now, here's another one. Um, take the time out to organize nice surprises for your partner. And this doesn't have to be something special. Now, I had said to Berger as we were heading up from Mexico into um, United States and Canada, you know, you can't travel in the United States and Canada without going to McDonald's. And we didn't. We just, it just never happened. It wasn't normally on our routine of things to do. And one day we woke up and we said, come on, let's get on a move. And Birgit said, yeah, but we're going to go for breakfast first. And this was on Vancouver Island. And she took me for breakfast at McDonald's. And it was just one of those silly, nice little surprises that turned into something um, um, special. Next one, accept that you both will do things wrong. You're both going to cock it up sooner or later. And I think um, that supporting and not criticizing each other at those times is absolutely vital because, hey, you never know when you're going to be the person who stuffs it up next. And having that openness of acceptance within the travel partnership is really important. Um, there are a couple of funny things here. Um, keep your feet clean when you're camping. That's kind of important. You don't want to be sharing your tent with a partner who's got smelly feet. And my final one is chocolate solves an awful lot of potential problems. <laughs> and that was pretty much the things that popped straight into our minds um, when we were talking about it. And uh, we love traveling together and um, it's we're, we're friends and we're friends, I think, because we do these things with each other um, and it makes traveling just an extreme buzz um, a really happy, friendly occasion. And yeah, of course, there are times when you're really stuffed and the, the, the stress is there and you've broken down and you can't work out what it is or a border crossing is suddenly turning into being something particularly difficult or you've done something that's really stupid that's dropped you in it. When you deal, you know, you approach all of the things um, with the way that I've just been talking, then actually that just turns all of those situations into something that you can laugh about and laughing's kind of good Sam Manicom sam-manicom.com
Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any drive bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system and of course green chili adventure gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding and that has gained them a top reputation for tough reliable gear and that's www.greenchiliadv.com the MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. This is a really long one. I, I can't believe we're over two hours on this and took a, a lot of time in editing, I'll tell you. We spent a lot of time on this, but we hope you liked it. Hey, if you like what we're doing, you want to help out, there's a couple things you can do. You can drop by our Facebook page, like our Facebook page. You can drop by the website. Of course, you can look at all of our podcasts. You can download them all for free as well as our, our Raw show, which you subscribe to separately. Um, and you can click on the donate button if you'd like and help the show out by adding some uh, money to the coffers to help pay the bills for all of this stuff. We'd really appreciate it. And we can certainly use it. www.adventureriderradio.com. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. Hi, this is Mary McGee. And you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 